My name is Carlos Griego. You guys can call me Los if you see me. Um, I am uh, director minister over the young adult uh, ministry here at Desert Springs Church called The Well. And I also um, oversee the men's ministry as well. Uh, I have been working here at Desert Springs Church for three years now. Before that, I worked for the University um, of New Mexico basketball team as the video coordinator, which is just a cool way to say glorified AV nerd. Um, but I was that. Um, I am married to my beautiful wife, Lauren, and we have three kids. Uh, we have one girl and two boys. Uh, and um, I'm blessed to be here with you to preach today. Well, happy 4th of July, uh, Independence Day. I'm not sure which one it is, really. I mean, it was both, but I don't know how we say it. Um, I was thinking this recently as being a dad, um, being a grown-up, um, is my perspective on the 4th has changed recently. Um, when I was little, I was like 10, I'd go with my dad, we'd go to the store, and I'd want the big box of fireworks. You know, big old fountains. And then we'd pass by the tents. I'd want to stop by the tents and get a few things as well. Now that I'm a dad, and I realize that electricity costs money, um, it's like, man, that's burning money. I don't need the big box. Or when I was a teenager and young adult myself, I would um, get up at night and light some bottle rockets or some loud firecrackers. And I found on Friday night, after we had through much wrestling and tears, um, got our four-year-old and two-year-old who roomed together to sleep finally. Uh, that takes work. And um, about 9.30 this year, boom, boom. I'm like, man, these people don't understand. People are trying to sleep right now. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we hear our, our two-year-old Braden waking up. I'm like, oh. And I was like, maybe I should call the fire department on these. <laughs> it has changed. Being a Christian on the 4th of July is an interesting thing, too. On one hand, we do praise God for the freedoms we have in this country and the reality that the authorities of this country are not going to bust down these doors and haul us off to jail for worshiping and singing and proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, like so many of our brothers and sisters have to deal with around the world. So we do praise God. We do celebrate today, that, and we are thankful for our freedoms we have in this country. Hot dogs, fireworks, and all. But on the other hand, our identity and our calling, Christian, is not representing America. Our citizenship is not primarily the United States of America. It is heaven. And our aim is not to promote the American way, but to be ambassadors of our King, Jesus. So Paul says in Philippians, when he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The text today, we're going to see Paul say his identity is as an ambassador for Christ. Guys, this is not a call to power, a call to wealth, a call to fame, or even morality. But it is a call to deliver the message of reconciliation with a motivation unlike any others in the world today. As we will see Paul explain his ministry 
So if you want to open up, we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. While you're doing that, let me give you a little background on this letter. Corinth was a church that Paul, the writer of this letter, planted. It was a messy, broken church in the center of a wealthy, diverse city. Corinth was a lot like today's San Francisco. It was a port town, so it was just a real melting pot of religions, of cultures, of ideas, of philosophies. And so through it would go dignitaries from around the Roman Empire, but you also have dignitaries from other um, empires in Asia, would come through Corinth on their way to Rome to speak with the Senate or with Caesar. So when Paul uses the word ambassadors, we'll see today, this would ring true and the people would understand what he was talking about. They would have an idea of what this meant, who an ambassador was. This church was broken and messy. It had rampant sin problems all throughout it in the first letter that we have in our scripture, 1 Corinthians. And Paul is dealing with this church that's dividing over which um, leader to follow. There is rampant, ugly sin that the church is not confronting and just allowing and maybe gloating in like, man, we, we don't even confront them. That's how, that's how we roll. And now in this letter, Paul talks about the fact that he had come to this church and it was a painful visit. It was a painful time. In chapter 2 of this letter, he says, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you, that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. He's saying, I love you. I am a father, spiritual father to you. I care about you, and we have been through a lot together. And now opponents are coming in and saying, he's not a leader. Look at him. He is beaten up. He is bruised. He is suffering. He's a little overexcited. He can't be a true leader you want to follow. And that's why Paul now will explain his ministry to the people in Corinth, a ministry that is ours as Christians as well. So starting in verse 11 of chapter 5, the first thing I want us to be able to see is the motivation of Paul's ministry as an ambassador for Christ. He says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who, might live, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Stop there. 
Guys, we live in a world where motivation um, is about money. It's about social status. It's about having a healthy life. It's about keeping your health and living as long as you can. It's about how much money you're going to have in your bank account when you retire so you can live a peaceful, quiet life in the country somewhere. It's to be safe and to avoid risk. And what we do, why we do it, and how we do it are, are the fuel for these motivations. That's what we, the reason we do those things is because of those motivating factors. Here's what Paul says. He says, those aren't my motivations. The reason I am who I am, the reason I act like I act, it's because of something totally different. It's because of fear and love. This was what fueled Paul's ministry. This is what fueled Paul's life. And this is what really is the fuel for the Christian life. Now maybe to the world, maybe to some of you, these two do not go together. They're opposites, fear and love. Maybe even some, as we, as I read that, and I, we're talking about that, 1 John 4.18 comes in, in mind, where it says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We need to understand that these are two different fears that are spoken about. The fear that John talks about is one of terror of final judgment. He says fear has to do with punishment. For those who will face a holy God one day without the covering blood of Christ, it is a real fear. It is a legitimate fear. But, this is a, but we're talking a different type of fear that Paul is motivated by. Paul is not telling the Corinthian church, saying, if I don't do my ministry, I'm afraid that God will get me. If I don't do my ministry, I'm afraid I'm going to be punished. No, what Paul is saying is this fear that he is talking about is the kind of fear that you have when you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon. It's an awe. It's a reverent fear. You're not afraid of the Grand Canyon. You're not standing there going, oh, the Grand Canyon doesn't get me. No, you're standing there going, oh, I am tiny. I am weak. I am insignificant compared to what I am looking at. And the fear that Paul is saying is infinitely more than that because you're not standing in front of just the Grand Canyon or Mount Everest or the Pacific Ocean and feeling small. You are standing before the maker of the Grand Canyon, the Pacific Ocean, and Mount Everest. The one who Isaiah 40, it says that he marks off the span of the heavens, the universe, with the span of his hand. A fear of being before this big, infinite, holy God reminds us of our small, finite nature. That is the fear that drops our jaws, puts a little pit in our stomach, and it's healthy, and it's good. See, the fear of the Lord, that fear, it does not then oppose the love of Christ. It deepens it, and it makes it like no other love. Because today and in Corinth, there are funny views of love. There's hallmark love, where you're just a walking greeting card. It's love equals niceness. 
You affirm people. You don't tell people that they're living a sinful life. You just agree with them and you affirm. You, you build up their self-esteem. Go get them, Johnny. And it's actually unloving to confront someone. Or there's movie love. This is emotion. Emotion-fueled, has no truth in it, love. It's just about feelings. It's just about those butterflies in the stomach. It's what's selling out the movie theaters right now. It's not about vampires and werewolves. It's about the love. And the fact that it is selling out movie theaters should tell us something too. That there's something inherently in us that wants to be stirred by love. We are made for love, but because of sin, because we are fallen creatures, we settle for cheap replacements. So we sell out movie theaters to watch a love triangle between a depressed girl and a vampire and a werewolf. (laughs) Any teenager that says Karate Kid is cheesy, just realize that's what the movie you love is about right now. I'm just saying... Sorry. (laughs) No. We are made for the love of Christ. We will settle for cheap replacements. But the love of Christ is fundamentally and foundationally different. It is about this awesome, fearful God who does not sacrifice truth for love, but in truth, in Christ, comes and dies to reclaim, to reconcile us. Does not sacrifice his justice, his righteousness, but instead takes our place and takes on the wrath we deserve. That is the love of Christ that controls Paul. This is what Paul elaborates on. He says, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, that he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, may no longer live for these cheap knockoffs of what we were made for, no longer live for wealth, for social status, for Hallmark or movie-type love, but that we may live for him, the real thing. Who for their sake died and was raised. This love was not just a motivating factor, but it was an all-consuming and controlling um, aspect of Paul's life. It controlled him, he says. It fueled and guided his actions. It is what drove him in all he did. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, all about this passage, all around him, all around Paul, the love of Christ pressed upon him as the water in a river presses upon a swimmer and bears him onward with its stream. Love of Christ was like a rapid and it just pushed Paul where to go. It was no longer Paul controlling, but it was this love of Christ that pushed and forced him and moved him down the river of life. And it was overwhelming and called Paul and calls us to live for him and no longer for ourselves. 
You see, when this love that is deepened and made true by the fear of God, when it overwhelms us, then who we are will display Christ more and less of us. More of his love and his sacrifice. More of his patience and his forgiveness. And more of his love for, bro- for the broken and for the sinner. It will be what guides us and controls us and moves us. We will be ambassadors. We will be representatives. We will be reflections. Yes, messy, broken reflections still that need to be reminded constantly of the fear of the Lord and the love of Christ. But we will be ambassadors and reflections of him and not us. See, love and fear, these two things that Paul talks about, are not things that, we can, be, that can be faked or worked up. They're not something you just sit there and go, come on. No. No. But we, but we can relate to this because there are things that consume us. There are things that have moments where we're just worked up in passion, in love, in awe, standing at the Grand Canyon edge. For me, one of those things... Lobo basketball. I worked there. I've been, my parents had season tickets starting when I was in third grade. When the Lobos, I picked on the Aggies last time I preached. We'll pick on someone else. When the Lobos are beating, when they beat BYU and the buzzer sounded, I didn't go up to go, I guess I should get excited about this. Yeah, I guess I should feel a little well, something for this. I was standing there going, oh, yes. When I worked for the team, we never won there, but they're winning now. Awesome. It was there. And that's just a small, insignificant little glimpse of what it'll be for us before the Lord and what it is for us called to be now when we think about the gospel, when we think about the big God who loves messy, broken people like us and displays it at the cross. It's supposed to stir something in us. Not something we can fake. And because it's not something we can fake, it is only through, given by the grace of God, as we read his word and the spirit illuminates our hearts and minds to it. So as we open our word, do we praise God, send your spirit so that I may see Christ on every page. I may be overwhelmed by this. So love and fear then do not oppose each other. But instead the love of Christ changes our fear of God from terror of a holy God to awe of a huge, merciful God who took the wrath for us in Christ. And the fear of God fuels and deepens and sharpens what this love of Christ is with breathtaking glory and depth. That's what motivated Paul. And that's what we are called to as Christians to be motivated by as well. In fact, for Paul, he was able to withstand persecution and pain. He was able to press on through it because this love pushed him this love that he met on the way to Damascus, when he was knocked off his horse and he came face to face with the Lord 
the one he had been opposing adamantly. And felt terror, felt fear, and felt love. His opponents saw this passion, this meeting of love and fear together inside Paul, as well, a bit over-enthusiastic. Now, we get crazy with the Lobo game. We shouldn't get crazy in church. I'm not saying let's start the wave. But we treat it that way sometimes. For Paul, though, this was about the outcome of a changed heart. It was not about the outward appearances. What he was saying to the Corinthians, what you see is, what we have, is an overflow of what God is doing inside of me. Love and fear, then, are the fuel for the ministry of reconciliation that Paul has been called to and we have been called to. Verse 16 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Like Paul's motivation. His ministry is not like that of the world's. See, when Paul talks about flesh, he's not talking about skin. He's talking about the temporary nature of this world about those cheap knockoffs that so consume us and so ask us to give ourselves glory and give those glory rather than God. But as Christians, we're called, we are new creations. We are called out of the living for the here and now and for those cheap knockoffs. And as citizens in heaven, our ministry and Paul's ministry and aim in life is eternally minded. So you go to Barnes & Noble in the self-help section, We'll say the problem with the world is low self-esteem. You don't love yourself enough. I mean, that's my generation. We were, we were raised getting yellow stars for nothing. It's like your eyes are open, gold star. You're special. And so people are starting to see like, oh, maybe that's not a good idea because we've got a bunch of 30-year-olds and 20-year-olds who think they're the everything right now. And some will say that, you know what, it's because we trash the environment. That's the problem with the world. There's oil gushing in the Gulf. It's because we trash it. If we could clean up the, the world, it'd be a better place. That'd fix everything. Others say we just need to have peace among each other. We need to love each other and accept difference. We need the hallmark love. We just need to hold hands and sing. Some will blame the socioeconomic climate of the have and have not, saying, well, those are whining, and that is the issue. But the gospel call, the Christian's call, Paul's call is to see that at the heart of all man's dilemmas is that he is separated from God by his sin. We are called first and foremost, Christian, to proclaim that reconciliation is possible to God through the life and death and resurrection of Christ. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of our faith. 
that was Christ's ministry. That's why he came and he lived and he died, was to reconcile man to God that sin had separated at the fall and has been separating us ever since. See, that's the foundation. Everything else will be affected. Paul used this idea of reconciliation a lot. In Ephesians, he said, by abolishing law of commandments, expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. The two were the Jews and the Gentiles, so making peace, and that he might reconcile us both, that's everyone, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Or in Colossians, for in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I mean, this sounds good and positive. But at the heart of it, it's going to be met with hostility. Because you need to be able to understand, in order to be reconciled, you have to see that there's hostility. That's what reconciliation means, that there's hostility that has been resolved between two parties. And see, most people don't see this need to be reconciled. They regard it still by the flesh. The bad news that needs good news is it's a broken marriage. Drug addictions. Failing health. The economy. Or kids that are rebelling. These seems so much more pressing. You seem much more real. No different in Corinth. It's no different for us today. Paul answers that saying, it's not a flesh issue. It's not a go green, exercise more, world peace, help the poor issue. It's a primarily spiritual worship heart issue. And it will be offensive because it calls out our sin and our status on our own before a holy God. A just God whose wrath will be poured out for our sins. It was either poured out once and for all at the cross on Jesus. Or it will be poured out on us for all eternity. That's what Paul writes in Romans. He says, then since therefore we have now been justified in his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It says that on our own, we were enemies to God. That our sin, that we are sinners, and we are hostile by nature to God. to a world that sees the problem is out there, to a world that's been told since they, see my world, that's been told since you were two years old that you are good, you are special, this comes across as a little, a little different. Oh, that's mean. Call me an enemy of God. I don't have any beef with God. It says we're enemies because we are sin, sinners. We are separated. See, the world sees the symptoms. The Bible calls us to see the root. 
It's intolerant. And it does not build up your self-esteem. It calls us to actually despair in ourselves. And when we do, that's when we see the love of Christ. That's when we see a big God who is coming after us with love. That's when we see the cross for what it is. That's when we hit our knees and are amazed. That's when we can sing amazing grace. If it wasn't that big of a deal, it's really not that amazing. That God, the offended party, has come in God, the son, Jesus, and lived the life we are called to live, died the death we deserve to die, rose, and now gives us his life as if we had lived it. That's verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, Ryan, our teaching elder, he says he, um, says he puts a GN next to um, verses that he calls gospel nuggets that you could probably read that one verse and be saved from it. I mean, to me, this is like capital GN, underline, underline, underline. If you come to the well, you know this is like Every other week, it's on our screen. I'm talking about it. This is the message of reconciliation. See, the bad news fundamentally is we are sinners and we are enemies of God. And the good news is that God has made a way through Christ for us to be reconciled. And this is our message given to us by our king to take out as ambassadors. That's the role of the ambassador. They represent the king. They proclaim the king's mission, the king's message. Not their own. And this is the message the king has brought that reconciliation to him is possible through Christ. To see your sin and to see the cross. To be broken by your sin. And have your eyes lifted by the Son of God Christ. So Paul means when he says God is making his appeal through us. He says God is pleading for those who hear to see their need and to be reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. That's the love of Christ that controls him. It will be met with hostility by some and others. It will be met with broken joy. In 2 Corinthians 2, Paul says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So when people go walk near us, it's like Christ just comes out of us. It's like they smell Christ. No matter who you are. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to other, a fragrance from life to life. Some will smell it and find salvation. Some will hear the message and be saved by God's grace and others will hate it and oppose it. And guess what? It will, require, it will require boldness. It means we do pray like the apostles did in Acts and like Paul asked for in Ephesians for boldness to proclaim this message that will be met with, host, by, with hostility that is so countercultural to how many of us have been raised. But we are still to go out with the king's message. 
being obedient to the kingdom means we go out of the embassy. We get out of our bubbles. We go and proclaim in a foreign land. We go and proclaim to those who have not heard the king's message. We go out from where people will go, amen, brother, preach it. To never talk to me again with that filth that is intolerant. We go out outside the embassy to proclaim. Most of us are already out. We just don't see it. In our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our families, we are ambassadors to the king there. I'm not Carlos Griego on campus at UNM. I'm an ambassador to Jesus. An ambassador for Jesus. You are not a worker at Sandia, a teacher for APS, a mom. Fundamentally, you are an ambassador for Christ. You are a reconciled ambassador for Christ. That's how I would, that's how God used people. I, I didn't get saved through a Billy Graham crusade. And that was on, just change the channel. Are you going to save through a track? There's my bosses. I was a party crazy kid. And my boss at the time, Richie McKay, and Scott Dedrickson loved me, cared for me, spoke the gospel to me, God changed my heart. It's just in the workplace. Just normal everyday living. Before we go rushing for the doors, though, before you're like, all right, let's Let's do it. Let's not overlook Paul's plea to the church as well. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's his calling. I believe that's ours as well. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He tells the church, be reconciled to God. How are we doing with that? Do you understand the foundational need is a reconciliation between us and God? Or do you assume it? Does verse 21, you go, amen. I need to hear that over and over again. I need to hear that daily, or is it just assumed? I've been going to church since I was two. Do you see your constant need for the blood of Christ? And, or do you think, I got that, Los. I got that. Okay, let's move on. We're talking about being an ambassador. Give me some tips how to be an ambassador. Give me some practical advice. Like, how do I start the conversation? 
I mean, do I carry a clipboard with me and have like a little canyon and talk about like me on the one side and, and oh, it's a bridge. Oh, it's a cross. Do I do that? How do I do it? That's not the foundational call for an ambassador. Because if you have not been overwhelmed by the fear of God and the love of Christ and are not controlled by that because of the reconciliation of God, it won't matter. You can't be an ambassador of a king you don't know. So this isn't a pep talk to go out and let's go save Albuquerque for Jesus. I'm not trying to rile you guys up with emotion. I'm not a coach at halftime going, all right, guys, let's do it. All right, let's bring it in. Let's huddle up. Let's just go storm the city. It's a plea to believe. It's a trust in this message to see the need for reconciliation yourself and then see your calling as an ambassador. Be overwhelmed once again, or maybe for the first time, maybe you're sitting here for the first time and in 20 years of sitting in church, you for the first time are overwhelmed by the love of Christ and the reconciliation that is offered. You're overwhelmed by a God who is reconciling sinful, messy, broken people, that is everyone in this room, to himself. And as that sinks in, I pray, I do pray that the love of Christ more and more controls each one of us in our lives and compels us with the message to take out of this room. I do pray that you do get swept up in the rapid of the love of Christ. So you do go out proclaiming this message, but you do so as people reconcile to God. So no matter where you're at, if you've grown up in the church or you're like me and you didn't, soak, soak, soak in verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you came in with a broken marriage hoping to find tips to help, soak. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you came in with a failing business and wondering where the next bill is going to be paid and you're looking for hope, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you came in thinking today that coming in here today is what makes you right with God, you say the right prayers, if you read every day, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you're coming in here today, like I did the first time I came in these doors, embarrassed by what you did, the night before, hoping no one finds out how truly sinful you are. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're going to sing a song called Jesus Paid It All to End. Does all mean all for you? Does it overwhelm you when you sing it? When you say, oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Does that just floor your mind? He paid my debt. He reconciled. The one I was an enemy with is the one who saved me. He paid it all.
for Paul, for us. And that's all we got. That's all we need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a just, holy, holy, holy God. You are a consuming fire. You are a merciful Father. I pray that we, as your people, would daily see our need for you and daily be broken by our sin and overwhelmed by your love. That yes, we would go out of this place singing your praises to those around us, but we would go out as broken people who've been reconciled by a holy, loving God. Not as people who feel they've deserved it, but as people who have seen their need, have seen the cross, and have been able to say, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. May we be able to sing that in our hearts and with our lives daily. It's only by your spirit is that possible. Only by your spirit moving in our hearts and minds is that possible. I pray that to be so now, and I pray that to be so on a Thursday afternoon. I pray that to be so whenever. In Jesus' name.